Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is A Different Spirit by Pastor Liz Rod. Lord, we thank you for being who you are. We thank you that even when we were sinners, we were enemies, you still loved us enough, Lord, to give up all the trappings of heaven, to come down here to be just one of us, to show us the way, to be able to bring us into that place And I thank you. We honour you in this place. We lift up the name of Jesus. You are indeed King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we open the word, we know that every every book, 66 books, but one story, one Messiah, one Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Saviour. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts today so that we can hear the message that you want to share with your people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Um, Okay. All right. Well, let's open the book. First of all, um, I just want to tell you a a little story, if you don't mind. uh, Just before Christmas, um, my husband loves to go to the movies. Every single week he goes, is there anything good on at the movies? And most of his choices are blow them up, rip rip their stomach out, you know. And I really, sometimes sometimes I look at the selection and go, oh, not really, (laughs) you know. But we went to see what I thought was a, a terrific movie and it was a true story about a gentleman called Nicky Winton, Nicholas Winton. Uh, he was of Jewish-German origin, um, but when the family came to England, they changed their name from Wernheimer, which sounds very German, doesn't it, to uh, Winton. Now, Nicholas was a well-to-do and up-and-coming young stockbroker. He was doing really well. But in 1938... He was heading over to go on a skiing trip, as you do when you're a well-to-do young stockbroker, with friends over in Switzerland. But while he was there, he came through Prague in Czechoslovakia and he was actually asked by a friend of his to come and have a look at the situation of the Jewish refugees that were there. Now, Germany, as an appeasement, because in Europe everything was heating up for a Second World War, And so uh, they gave a a particular part of Czechoslovakia to be under German control. But, of course, as the Nazis, as the Gestapo were starting to reform, ready to actually declare war by taking Poland very, very soon in the next year, the Jewish people were shoved into these places. Now, in Europe, and I had a little taste of this, um, it is cooler than here, and some of you might be wishing at this moment that you were in a cooler part in Europe. But anyway, Nicholas took this diversion, and instead of his three-week ski trip with his very affluent friends, he just could not get the plight of particularly the children who were in the refugee camps. He was particularly moved, and this could be a bit of Hollywood and a bit of extra added to the story, but there's a woman holding a baby who had frozen to death, holding this, cradling this baby in her arms because she just could not let go of her child and there was, and she was powerless to do anything about it. So Nicholas goes back to London and he works tirelessly. He does his job as we all do. He does his thing, but he cannot get these images of these children who were destined to either die in the refugee camps and no one really knew what was coming about the death camps, but there was an anticipation 
that there could be more trouble for the Jewish children. So he actually harasses the Home Office. Now, anyone that has run a government department, yes, you know what I'm talking about. But he was relentless. He went to get permission for these children to have papers, to be able to be brought out of Prague, out of the refugee camps, put on trains and brought to families who had agreed to foster them until it was safe for them to return home. Now, that took quite a bit. Now, back in 1938, £50 would have been a reasonable sum, but that was the guarantee. He had to raise that for every single child that they were going to bring over. Now, in the end, he brought over 669 children who came out of the danger that was brewing, out of those terrible circumstances, living in makeshift canvas in a sort of tented city, and he brought them over so that they could have the safety and the security that all children should have. Now, in 1939, as I said, war did break out, and he had, at that time, 250 children, the largest of the groups that he had organised. They were on the train with the people who were on the ground in Prague to try and help them. Well, the Gestapo came aboard that train. They took all the children. They took all the people who they had been watching, knowing that they were part of this team, and they took them all off, and no-one ever heard of them again. Now, Nicky didn't do this for accolades. In fact, he went back to doing what he did after the war, after being an ambulance driver. But he actually always felt that he'd really failed those 250 children. He would meet every train load at the station, he personally, to make sure. The kids would come with a tag round their neck to identify who they were, and the foster parents would be there. It was, you know, these are the sort of things, the real-life stories that I I can't get the pictures out of my head either, just about this. But anyway, 50 years later, he didn't even tell his wife. He got married to a lady who I think was Danish or Dutch, I can't remember which. But anyway, she came across the album where he had all the photos of these dear little children that he had brought to safety, even the ones that they were hoping to bring to safety. And she says to him, this should be in some sort of museum about the Holocaust. Anyway, so long story short, he shows it to a lady who is a Holocaust survivor and her husband just happens to be a newspaper editor. It goes on and and then eventually he is surprised by being invited to be a guest at a show called That's Life. A little bit like, um, what's the one we have here? Uh, What's it called anyway? That's your life or whatever, where they give you the book. But anyway, unbeknown to Nicky, he's sitting there by this stage. He's quite an elderly gentleman because he was 37 at the time when he was doing all this work. So now he's 87 going on 88. Now he's sitting there and all of a sudden she says, if you owe your life to this man, stand up. Now all of these people around him stood up. And, of course, this is 50 years on. So these people, and, and, you know, didn't return because their families were taken away and wiped out. But, you know, Nicholas, it reminded me as we were talking about the ark this morning, Nicholas Winton, and I don't know whether it was a godly project, but I'm inclined to think it was a very good, good project, but he created an ark for these children. He created an opportunity where they could be 
packed up and taken. Now, it would have been awful, awful for the parents. Can you imagine having to let go of your children? Can you imagine for these little ones to be able to go and be plonked in new families? But the outcome was those children were saved. And so, you know, as I said, I don't know whether Nicky Winton ever really was a godly man, but he was certainly a man who had a passion. And his motto was that if something seems impossible, there's got to be a way. Now, God is of the same ilk, isn't he? And I dare say in that moment when he spoke to Nicky Winton's heart, he was probably sharing his heart, that he wanted that man to be absolutely compelled to do what he was. But that's not who we're going to talk about today. As no, no secrets. We're going to talk about Caleb, a man with a different spirit. Now, Nicky Winton was a man with a different spirit. He could have gone on, he could have gone just, you know, trotted off, gone skiing, enjoyed his opulent life and had a great time. But as I said, something stirred in his heart and he just felt that he had to take it upon himself to be the organiser for this, if you like, arc, as we're calling it today. Now, Caleb, another man. You know, a little while ago, there was all the hoo-ha about awards for movies and we saw the Supporting Actor Award go to, what's his name, Ryan Gosling. <gasps> Shock horror. What's her name? The lady from Australia. That's how much she, I take notice. But she didn't get the Oscar, the Emmy or whatever it was. The Supporting Actor did. Now, Caleb, if you like, is a bit of a Supporting Actor. We all know about Joshua. We know that as kids and, and in Sunday school we sang the song about Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. But Caleb is quite a man to be reckoned with. A, for God to actually endorse this man, and he does when we get to Numbers 14.24. Uh, Steve, could you throw the next one up, please? Uh, we will read that. And it says, My servant Caleb had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Now, what I loved about that was... But when I read it, I thought, well, you know, God's claiming him, isn't he? For one thing, my servant. And then he says he has a different spirit. If you're looking at other translations, it can mean loyal. It can mean, um, let me have a look, a, a different attitude. But he, he actually singles Caleb out. Uh, there are about 2,500 people approximately uh, that are mentioned by name in the Bible. But Caleb gets mentioned in Scripture 40 times. So I reckon he's someone that God is trying to actually identify and acknowledge. You know, by the time we get to numbers in the Bible, it's sort of, even though it's not the next book from Exodus, but it follows on from the story. As we know, the children of Israel are brought out of uh, bondage in Egypt. They cross over the Red Sea on dry land. And when they get to the other side, they break out the timbrels or tambourines, depending on whether you've been a salvo or not. And, they, you know, they start to sing and dance and praise God. Oh, wow, you know, what an amazing God. He's set us free. You know, the Egyptian army didn't um, fare so well. They weren't celebrating because they were at the bottom of the, the Red Sea with their chariots and horses. Sorry for the animal lovers. But, you know, the thing is, you know, the people were jubilant. After 400 years of being in captivity, being slaves, and as we know, when the plagues that, uh, that God sent to defeat all the gods of Israel and to make Pharaoh let the people go, all of that happened, and they all saw this. 
They all knew about the power of God, how he defeated all the Egyptian gods, how he brought the Egyptian army to its knees and unable to chase them and pursue them. But they were a people who were inclined to forget to remember. Now, that may seem a funny turn of phrase, but they did. It wasn't long, and actually, they're just in, I've got the NLT version with me, and it says in the content of Numbers, the discontented whining of a young child can be difficult to ignore. Likewise, the childlike whining of the Israelites in the wilderness characterises the book of Numbers. How do you like that on your tombstone? <coughs> hey, to be a whiner. It wouldn't be, um, and I'm talking about the whingy type, just in case anybody's thinking of other whining. But, you know, the thing is they soon forgot. And it wasn't long before, you know, as I said, God was so good to them. You think about the provision that he gave them. Not only did he champion their freedom, not only did he bring them through on dry land, not only did he provide for them as they're travelling, but all of a sudden, every little thing, it was a big sigh, a big whinge. And so before too long, they were really starting to challenge everything. Now, as we know, the purpose of them going into the desert, into the wilderness, was to take them to the promised land. This, is, this was God's promise. Now, does God break his promises? Somebody? Anybody? No, thank you, thank you. But, you know, the thing is, the people very quickly lost faith in God's promises. They started to only look at their circumstances, and we can be a bit like that, can't we? Sometimes, you know, we can just have a look around and think, woe is me. But, you know, before they headed off into the promised land, Moses, being a wise leader, sends out 12 spies, now, there are 12 of them. Can anyone give me all their names? Again, silence. Why do you think that is? Because 10 of them weren't men of faith. You know, you might remember Joshua and Caleb, and I hope you do, because God does, but none of the others are people that we record. Beyond seeing their names in a list as the representative, the leader from, or the spy chosen from each of the 12 tribes, we never hear about them again because they didn't keep on going. They, their resolve dissolved very, very quickly as soon as they saw the obstacles. And, you know, instead of seeing the beautiful land, and they, they all agreed it was a land overflowing with milk and honey. There's that phrase we hear quite often. But they all they came back with was, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. They only saw giants. The only two that saw opportunity were Caleb and Joshua. And so today we're going to talk about the, the two that didn't have the grasshopper complex, as I've decided to call it, because the other ten very quickly started to list it. Now, what the whole idea of going into the promised land, into Canaan, and this is what Moses gave them instructions for. He said to go north through the Negev into the hill country. Some translations will say the mountains. See what the land is like and find out whether the people there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do they have towns with walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back some samples of crops you see because it happened to be the harvesting of the, of the ripe grapes. Now, in some of the... Whoops, am I going out? 
Still? Still? Hear me? Yeah. Okay. In some of the um, commentaries that I read, it talks about the fact that that needed two men to bring the grapes. The weight, they were so weighty. So that's how lush, that's how fruitful the land was. But the people, as they, uh, once they heard the report of the other ten spies, and this is what they had to say. First of all, let's have a look at the man with the different spirit. He, he says, as he tries to quiet the people when they're, they're not happy about the, uh, the occupants and the sit- walled cities, the fortified cities, he says, let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But listen to what the other men said. They said, well, you know, they disagreed. They say, we can't. That's the, that's the word first. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report through the Israelites. The land we travelled through will devour anybody who tries to live there. All, people, all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants, then the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. And you know what? Negativity is infectious. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't take long before bad information or, shall we say, negative reports on anything will take people down. And the people became very fearful. So Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the Lord. They're trying so hard to ask God now for what should we do. Uh, but the two men that were, uh, sorry, explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, Nun, sorry, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They were so frustrated. They could see that this indeed was the land that God wanted to give to his people. They were so frustrated that the others just couldn't see it. They couldn't see and they didn't, and the people somehow had just forgotten all about how powerful their God was, all the things that he had done, all the way he had made way for them to get to this point. And so the whole community, as these negative reports spread, they say, well, why don't we stone Jacob and Caleb? Now, there's a solution. If you don't like somebody's opinion, if I see anybody with a rock going out, I'm going to put my crash helmet on. But, you know, the thing is, It didn't take long for the people to be so filled with fear, so taken over by the fear of the giants, the walled cities, that they were very quickly starting to say, I want a new leader. That's what they're saying. And and we as, as human beings, we're inclined to do that. This bloke's no good. We better get rid of him. We'll get a new leader. So they started to actually cry out and ask for a new leader. They start to say things like, we were better off in Egypt. Now, can you imagine being better off in Egypt? Were the people really better off? But they were very, very quickly forgot. And so Caleb makes this appeal once again. He says in uh, verse 9 of chapter 14 in Numbers, do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people in the land. They, they, sorry, they are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But unfortunately, their words fell on deaf ears. Now, God's getting a little bit tired of these people too. You know, and Moses, you must must remember, Moses is trying to lead these people. I think it's Jesus who refers to them as a a stubborn, stiff-necked people. Have I got the right one? 
Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, is it any wonder? I often wonder, did God pick this particular group of people knowing that if he could get them over the line at any time in history, he could get anybody over the line? I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, just speculation. But, you know, Caleb is that man. He, as I said, he is saying, when everybody else is saying, no, the, the giants are too big, the cities are too heavily fortified, he's the one saying, let's go and get them. He's ready. He's ready. He's prepared and ready to take off. Uh, you know, I just um, wanted to um, point out at this time that when God says that Caleb has a different attitude, in the translation I have in front of me, it says that he has remained loyal to me. And here's the promise God makes him. So I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their share of the land. And now to the Israelites, he's saying, now turn around and don't go on towards where the Amalekites and Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Sorry. So he's telling him to take a U-turn and go back. So they're not going to go on. You know, Moses has to intercede for the people because if you go back to uh, 14.20, the Lord actually is going to pardon the people at Moses' request because God says he's tired of their contempt. He says, I'm tired of their rebellion. I am tired of all these things. And it says, Moses now says, Please, Lord, prove that your power is great as you have claimed. For you said the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, following every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse, excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. In keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. So God has looked at them. He's, his benevolence, his mercy has just continued and continued. You know, he's rescued them. He's, you know, even though they're rejecting his report, he's about to pardon them. But there are consequences. And he says, because your men explored the land for 40 days, now the people are going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a day, sorry, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me as an enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will die here in the wilderness and be, sorry, they will be destroyed here in the wilderness and here they will die. And the ten men who were the spies who had the negative report, who were against going on, they had a very sad ending. In verse 37, it says they were struck dead with a plague before the Lord. Out of the twelve that had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb... Sorry, what did I say? Of the twelve, of the twelve who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. And so we know that they go back into the wilderness. We know that that generation, in fact, it's only the people who are 20 and under who will go on. But by the time they've done their 40 years, 
in the wilderness, you know, Caleb and Joshua are getting on too. In fact, by the time they go back into the promised land, Joshua uh, is now the new leader. Moses has died. And Joshua is the one who is leading all the armies. And they conquer and they conquer and they conquer because they're now in God's will. These men and their fighting men are now going forward. But God's going with them. We sang one of the songs today, if I remember rightly, about God going with us. And, you know, this is what happens. When they go with God with them, he is the one that is making the way. Okay, so he says, uh, come over now, if you will, with me to, let's go to Joshua, Joshua 14. Now, by now, they've come into the promised land and Moses has, before he passed on and when he appointed Joshua, he's actually given Joshua the job of assigning the land to all the different tribes. Now, as we know, we've got all the different tribes So each of them is allotted an area. But Caleb has remembered exactly what God said to him. And so we come back and he says that, you know, I I want the mountain. I want the high country, Lord, because that's where I went. That's where the giants are. You know, wouldn't you think after all that fighting, and if you're 85 and wielding a sword and having to keep up with all the... The younger people, wouldn't you think, give me somewhere easy, Lord. Give me somewhere without the giants. But not not our, our man, Caleb. Caleb, it says, for my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. And so he now says today, if we come down to verse 10b, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me into the journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country. Some translations will say, give me the mountain that God has promised me. You will remember that as the scouts, we found the the descendants of Anak. They're the giants. uh, Sorry, I've lost my spot. Living in there in great walled towns. But the Lord is with me and I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. And so Joshua blesses Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and he gave him Hebron as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb of Jephunneh the Kenizzite because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord and the God of Israel. You know, God is calling us, I believe, to be, have that Caleb spirit. Yeah. I think in 2024 and going forward, if we don't have that different spirit, that different attitude, we are not going to be able to conquer the obstacles that lie between us and seeing the kingdom of God come into fruition. So we need to be like him. You know, what I loved about Caleb, and there are many things I loved about him, I loved his resolve. You know, fancy hanging on to a dream, fancy having to wait on a promise for 45 years. That's not bad going, is it? You know, I can't even remember what I did 45 days ago sometimes, let alone what somebody said to me. But here's a man who hung on to that promise. He believed. He believed wholeheartedly. He followed God 
wholeheartedly. And when you look at the different translations of what that means, some of them, the uh, completely, fully, passionately, and follows me with his whole heart. They're just some of the translations. Because he had a different spirit. He had a different attitude. And so the people who just could not grasp, could not remember, as I said, they forgot to remember the power of their God. They forgot to remember exactly what God had done for them up to that time. And now they perish in the wilderness. But this younger generation, and God says he's going to raise up a greater generation. He's going to raise up a greater nation. And that's exactly what he does. So I just want to come, if I can now, to something that Jesus shared and when he was talking to his disciples, as we know, um, Jesus came to honour his father. He came and in everything he did, as he said, whatever he did was what his father said. Whoever he was to us through scripture, through his time on earth, was exactly to show us who God was. And just as God, when he took the children of Israel into the wilderness, He wanted them to trust him. He wanted them to believe him. He wanted to show them over and over and over again that he was for them. He was building not only a nation, but he was building a family. And, of course, that particular generation just could not get it. They abandoned God as just like that. As soon as the chips were down, as soon as things didn't suit them, you know, they forgot about the quail. They forgot about the manna. They forgot about the the bitter water that was transferred or translated, however you want to put it, into sweet drinking water. They forgot it all. But the next thing, the next thing is that, you know, as I said, even though God pardons them, they didn't get to come into the promised land. So I want to just move, if we can now, very quickly to a lesson that I believe is really relevant for you and I if we're going to be people of a different spirit. I was reading the other day uh, just through the parable of the sower and I thought about the different types of hearts, the different type of attitude. As we know, Jesus was actually trying to just explain the parable in, uh, in the latter part of Mark 4. So his disciples would understand why he was telling them this. And he was talking about four different types of hearers, people who the seed, in some cases, would go down deep into good soil in their heart, and that's who we need to be. But he was also talking about the other three types. Now, one, he talks about the seed falling on the pathway, the footpath. Now, we have concrete footpaths, so if you get that picture, not much is going to grow in concrete except a weed. Have you ever noticed the weeds growing concrete? in the little gaps, but good seed does not. The next one he talks about is the rocky soil. And, of course, rocky soil might have a bit of shallow soil and it might even be some good soil on the top. But once you hit that rock platform, that the roots are not going to go down deep. They're, going to find, they're really going to struggle to break through that rocky area. So as soon as the difficult weather comes along, the sun comes out, what's in the parable... As soon as that comes out, that plant wilts. It can't stand up to any opposition, if you like. And that's a little bit like our friends, or a lot like our friends, who were in, in God's original group of, and generation that he brought out of Egypt. 
And then third kind, and this one I think really is where we've got to be very careful. It fell among the thorns. And, and you know, um, I read a very, very good um, sermon that talked about the fact the thorns are like a crowded heart because, to me, these are all representations of the hearts of the hearers. And it represented a heart that is so crowded by thorns, so crowded. Now, what that looks like is going to be different for every person, but that could be the distractions of life. It could be anything that is going to choke out what God wants to share with us as 2024 believers. It's going to choke out any chance that we are going to be able to put down those roots that we're going to need to stand up against opposition. Because there are still giants out there. There are giants we face uh, personally. There are giants we face corporately. You've only got to look at social media, which I won't get on my soapbox about that. It's one of the things I detest. But so much anger is directed against Christian people. If you want to stand today, there's a good chance that just as Jesus told his disciples that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. There's a very good chance that we are going to be a people who everyone is seeing that we're just going to spoil their fun. They are on the Titanic, on the party boat, and they're heading blissfully, happily, with the music playing, the band playing. They think they are headed in the right direction, and there is a giant iceberg out there, and that iceberg is going to hit them hard, and people wonder why. Even Christians, and, you know, a lady I was speaking to the other day that is both a pastor and a Christian counsellor, She said, Christians sometimes think this can't happen to me. But we can be intimidated by the giants. We can be people who won't speak up, won't be who we're supposed to be. You know, we can put Jesus along with our Bible in the backseat of the car and just leave him there till next Sunday. That's not the life we want. Jesus wants all of you all the time. When we're told to love the Lord our God, you'll notice it's all, 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 all. It doesn't in any point, you know, so if you think that, you know, sort of just coming and and ticking that box on Sunday, and that might be a little bit harsh, and if you do try to stone me, I'm going to duck. But, you know, the thing is, Jesus wants every single part of your heart because out of your heart, that's where who you really are is going to live. So, you know, as I said, if you've got thorns in there, now I don't know, we've all, got, we've all got some prickly bits, haven't we? But God is slowly trying to weed them out. And how he does that is through the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. If we see that weeding as something we don't want, a problem, we're not going to grow. We're not going to be able to put our roots down deep. We're not going to be able to be that good soil, that weed-free, thorn-free soil that we need to be. We're not going to be able to flourish. And so, you know, it's it's an opportunity. It's not not an obstacle when the Holy Spirit points something out. So rather than seeing if God's trying to change something in our heart, he's doing it so that we can have that attitude, that good spirit like Caleb. I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, I want to hear that good and faithful servant. 
I want to be that person who has the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ reaching out and saying, you didn't always get it right, lovey, but you did, you did try. Yeah. You know, you did try. And as I said, we are in our humanity. We're going to fail. We're going to fall down. And I often think of that woman, you know, caught in adultery. Remember in the Passion movie? All her face is dirty. Everything about her, and she looks and she sees a dirty pair of feet in dusty sandals from Jesus walking through the, the streets. But he reaches down and her tear-streaked face as she looks up into his face and he is the only one who is willing to extend his hand and to be her ark. He is her ark. And, you know, from that moment on, I am sure her life was changed. You know, we're told in Romans 1 to 2 that we have to be in the world but we don't conform to its patterns. And we have the opportunity. You've been given, you know, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is an amazing thing. When he comes to dwell in your heart, no longer are you subject to all the, the things that can bombard you. He's there to sort it out. You know how we have, there's that ad with the bins, the three bins, and, you know, one's giving the other one their garbage. Have you seen that at the cinema? where he says, I don't want your rubbish, and they pass it along. But the Holy Spirit's there. He's sorting out what should be in our hearts. He's sorting out what shouldn't be in our hearts. And he's helping you and I to have a different spirit, to have a different heart, and not just part of your heart, but to be like Caleb. Caleb was rewarded in the end. And we don't do it for a reward. We do it because we love the one who has saved us. Jesus Christ came and gave himself to us. What a gift. What an amazing gift we have in our Saviour. He gave himself to us. He was pinned to that horrible cross, beaten, humiliated, and he was in shame, but for the joy set before him. Isn't that crazy? You know, nothing makes sense, does it, in that respect? But the joy is to know that you could belong to him, that you could be reconciled to the Father, that you could be the person that you've been called to be. Now, we come every Sunday and we hear the word of God, but how much we let go into our heart, really. You know, the good thing about the soil in this instance, the way I'm displaying it for you today, is you get to choose. You get to choose what sort of soil you've got in your heart. You can either be like the pathway, you can be hard, you can have that hard heart that says, oh, that's all very good for everyone else, but not for me. Or you can be like the rocky soil where, okay, God, you can put down your seed and your roots this far, but then it hits a plateau. You're not going any further. You're not going to possess any more of my heart. Or you can have the thorns and you can hang on to them. If you want to be that person, if you don't want... You know, you're saying to God, this, this much and no more. You can do that. You know, free will is just that, free will. But if you are that soil that says, Holy Spirit, show me where the weeds are. Show me, Lord, show me. Examine my heart. Create in me a pure heart and a contrite spirit, a right spirit, as the word says. We can be that people. And I think if, you know, if you feel as passionately as I do about going forward in 2024 to be the light that Jesus wants us to be, 
to be the people who, whose life is a living testimony, just like Caleb. Caleb did not stop. His resolve never dissolved. From the time he was a young man walking across the dry land into the first stage of that wilderness journey to the time where he had to turn back. See, he, he and Joshua, they didn't get let off that. They had to go back for the 40 years. They had to do exactly what the other part of the generation did. But they hung on to the promise. They hung on to the word of God. They trusted, they believed, and they had a different spirit. And so we see by the time we get to Joshua 14 that that he comes to claim his his reward. Let's just flick back to that. Sorry, and I've taken out my marker, so I'm up the creek, aren't I? Okay, here we go, Joshua 14. And so we see that he goes in and he does rout the giants. And in some of your versions, you'll probably know that uh, Hebron had previously been called Kiribatha and it had been named after Abba, the great hero of the descendants of Arnak, and they're the giants. But after, after it was conquered, after the giants were sent out, the land had rest from war. So there is a victory that Caleb had. Even though it might have seemed like a national defeat to begin with, and Caleb could have lost heart. He really could have just said, well, that's it. It's all over. You know, I've got to go back into the wilderness. There goes my dream. There goes my promise. God isn't going to give me the hill country. But instead, Caleb hangs on to that and his spirit keeps on preparing. And so, you know, you might be in a holding pattern. You might be waiting. God might have uh, given you a promise or maybe there's something that you're hanging on to. Maybe he's, you know, you're in that place. But can I urge you, always wait, always trust, always believe, always have a different spirit to the people out there who sometimes we've had people who have believed on God and walked away before anything can happen in their lives. So I just want to say, what kind of soil do you want to be? What, what kind of soil do you want your heart to be in 2024? Because you can either be like my friend Caleb, and as I said, my admiration for him just grew and grew and grew as I read about him. He was not only a man of faith, he was a man who could trust God through the worst of circumstances. And Christine Kane, who's written a devotional that I went through a couple of years ago called Unshakable, she actually made a quote which I had forgotten all about, and it says that if you're going through the most difficult time in your life, you could be on the border of your promised land. Now, my idea of promised land is that we see in this church the kingdom of God expanded, that we see people come to know our Lord and Saviour for who he is, that we, we see people who are rescued from the iceberg because the Titanic is going down. There's no two ways about it. And you and I are the ones who have the lifeboats ready. Will you call for other people to come into your lifeboat? Will you be that person who is not ashamed? We're told that if we trust in the Lord, we will not be put to shame. And so I believe with all my heart that this year, the Rock Christian Church can be a people of a different spirit and have a different attitude. 
Amen. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm dry and I'm hungry. (laughs) So let's just close in prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God who never gives up on your people. Lord, that you are honourable, you are faithful. And we thank you that Jesus was such an amazing example to us, as are the heroes of faith, the men and women we read about in the Bible, who I believe now, just as it says in Hebrews, are cheering us on. They have run their race. They are the people who have already kept their eyes on the prize. I pray that we would be like people like Caleb, who never lost sight of you. He had eyes of faith. He kept running even when others were falling by the wayside and even when people wanted to stone he and Joshua. He was somebody who was committed. He was a man of courage. And I pray, Lord, that that's who you will help us to be. Lord, that we would have hearts that are good soil, fertile soil, that we would allow you to weed out anything that would impair our race. We're told to lay every weight aside. And I pray, Lord, that we would see that as a tremendous opportunity to be able to run free. And I pray, Lord, that we would never lose our focus, that we would be a people who would always, always have our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And so today, Lord, as we go our separate ways, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would just have had the soil turned over just a little bit more. Any good gardener knows that the soil needs to be turned over. It needs to be kept free of weeds and thorns and all the things that can stop the growth because, Lord, we want to be a people who grow, grow personally, grow corporately, but never taking our eyes off the prize. And that prize is to hear those words, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.